Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never gonna happen. I don't know if this is gonna be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. Someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better rap. This is no big deal, a sales podcast. Hitesh, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you taking the time out to chat to me and Jack. Just as a brief intro to you from us, Hitesh used to, well, has worked his way through the whole sales organization from effectively what is a business development executive to a sales executive to a sales manager to sales director, the likes of Procter & Gamble, Profitero, Yieldify, where you spent almost six years. And now you've got the big title of CRO with our previous yeah. guest, Mick Gossier over at Joint Flows. So we're looking forward to hearing about this deal that you sold today, which was at Profiteero, but we're also looking to hear about all the experience that you've gathered along the way from opening deals to managing deals, to helping teams manage deals, to helping teams manage revenue. And I think that's what we're interested in hearing about today. We're going to pick on one deal in particular, and you're going to talk us through it, which was, I'll let you do the talking on that and I won't take it away from you, but thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Happy days. Well, the way we usually kick things off is... We give you the intro, but then what we want to know is, we want to know how you work through this deal technically, but what we'd like you to start off is just telling us about, this is obviously a big deal. We asked you to talk about a big deal and you've given us one. Can you just tell us what this yeah. deal meant for you once it closed? And I mean that from a perspective, maybe in your personal life, maybe in your professional life, maybe in what you learned about closing big deals, but can you just give us an, an idea of what this deal did for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it impacted me in, in many different ways in a way. So obviously financially, it was great. You know, when I was working at Profitero at the time, it was in the early days. So where commission was paid, it was paid on signature. Whereas now as companies mature, the commission starts to get dispatched sometimes off the invoice that finds it's off the payment. And so, you know, so financially it was great. But in addition to that, in terms of what it makes me professionally, I think it was probably the first deal that I had signed at a big major global brand. So for context, they were a major player within the BWS space. So there'd be a wine spirit brand with huge global presence across, you know, any retailer you can think of, you know, any shop you go into, you'll see their products there. So it was probably the first time I'd close a deal of that magnitude with a brand who's that big and it's huge energy as well. You know, where I think when you're working on smaller deals or when somebody says, yes, I want to work with you to the point they sign, it can be quite straightforward, you know, they're in the mind as long as the structure of that organization is quite flat. But when you're working with this size corporation, it's just so many additional stakeholders you need to manage. It's just so time consuming where you think something's going to be close in two weeks, it ends up taking four or five months. Very huge learning curve for me. What would you say, Hitesh, was the biggest challenge you faced throughout the deal cycle? In that deal, I think they moved the goal post a lot. And I guess when we get into the nitty gritty of the deal, that would become clearer. But it was changing, for example, the scope of who we'd be working with. So for a bit of context in terms of you Profitero, they are a digital shelf analytics company. And basically what they do is 
they track the digital shelf across retailers. So, you know, they'll be able to understand how your brand performs in Tesco or Asda or Amazon and so forth. But because this brand are of a global size, they wanted to initially trial us in one country, but it kept moving the goalposts from, yeah, we're going to, we, you know, we're going to start in the UK or actually we're going to start in France to ultimately actually say, you know, we're going to pilot you in China to begin with, because we know that if you can succeed in China, you're going to be good everywhere else. And how large was this brand in China? Was that their number one market? It was up there. So to be honest, I couldn't tell you if it was their number one market, but it was definitely within their top three. Great. I just had this visit in and sort of you working this deal and I'm going, yeah, we'll start out in the UK and that's like a small market. And then suddenly it's them changing it to, yeah, well, let's try China. And you're probably sitting there going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, I think what made it more complicated was that we weren't actually working with any other retailers in China at that time. So it required like a whole new setup. It required like us involving additional internal stakeholders and map out what that's going to look like as well. And it came way out of left field. Then one day I just got an email saying, Hey, let's jump on the call. We need to talk about the market. And I jumped on the call with my champion. He's like, so we're going to do it in China. I was like, wait, what? In China? I got off the call, went straight to my VP. I was like, yeah, so they want to try it in China. He was like, China? And then, yeah, we just all had that same reaction. It was like Chinese whispers. Then we went straight to like someone in our tech team and everyone was like, China? I heard that about 10 times over the next two days after we found out. And then ultimately, then we kind of had to take a step back, map out how that's actually going to work and what that's going to look like. So it was quite interesting. The things that we've heard consistently from people who are selling deals to multinational corporations is like, it's important to work out what the org structure looks like. Like you just said there, mm-hmm. deals are easy if the, if the business is, runs on a flat hierarchy, right? But it's important to work out what the org structure is like. But it's also important to work out what the power structure is like. You need to know where the power yes. lies, perhaps in more countries than other, perhaps in people who have been there, got longer tenure, for example, but don't have such a senior title. Is there anything about this deal in particular that talks to that problem? Yeah, there is actually. So it, interestingly enough, it goes back to the beginning of how this deal actually came about. So I actually self-prospected this deal. And what I'd done was I'd LinkedIn messaged the chief digital officer of this brand who had come back to me and said, actually, you know, the time is quite relevant. It's an initiative we're looking into very, very early stage. And so I actually got in relatively close to the actual budget to begin with, had an initial meeting. It, you know, what was explained to me was it's initially going to be like a mini RFP process. The sales, I'll call it competitor A and competitor B. And I was like, all right, cool. That, that makes sense. And I, you know, we had a little session, um, and I was like, yeah, I went relatively well. She was like, all right, cool. So, you know, if we think we're going to proceed with you and take you through this process or at least into the next stage, you'll hear from us within a couple of weeks. But, all right. But it was all pretty standard. Anyway, two weeks went by, I didn't hear anything. Three weeks, one month, two months, two and a half months. Like, all right, obviously this deal is dead. Then out of nowhere, I got a message from her three months later. She's like, right, as I mentioned, it's a really, really early stage initiative for us. We've actually bought this person in who's going to lead it. And so you're starting the process all the way from the beginning again. So I think this was quite different. So I think when you're selling into what's going to be a new initiative for the brand itself, they may not necessarily have the, the power hierarchy in place already to determine who's going to make which decisions. So this individual was brought in by the chief digital officer specifically for this initiative. You know, you're going to run with it. You're going to decide. And ultimately I have the sign off. So I was quite, quite close to it. You know, I did what you'd expect, you know, when I'm LinkedIn, mapped out the organization and stuff, but to be honest with you, until the initial pilot was finished, 
most of the rest of that org structure didn't come into play. You know, there was times where I tried to like do a bit of multi-threading, you know, and, and try to involve other people, but I was pretty much told, you know, this is actually nothing to do with me. It's actually all, all just sits with him, just work with this guy over here. So it's a little bit unique in that way. Okay. That's really interesting, actually, Hitesh. And I think it'd be good to maybe just get some of being an experienced rep and sales leader that you are, you know, when you ended up getting pigeonholed into that one person that was running the project, what are the, what are the ways that you tried to make that person your champion? So there's a, I think there's, there's a few different factors. So one, you know, one is what everyone says, people sell to people, right? So you want to make sure you can build a good rapport with that individual, but Building a good reports with that individual isn't going to be enough because firstly, your competitors, you know, they might be able to do it as well. But also in addition to that, what you need to be able to do is map out a few different things. So I've always been quite good in terms of like shelf methodology. So, you know, I, I follow the classic med pick process. So I go through that, make sure I have as much of this information as possible. But I think where it really was I think I was the only one who was able to identify what the personal consequence would be to that individual. You know, what are you trying to achieve and what does this mean if you're not able to achieve it? You know, what's, what happens with negative, negative outcome? So funny, isn't it? How I was having this conversation with my sales director the other day and like, it's such a, you can't put your finger on it, but he was like, why do you think that the champion's favorable to us? And I was like, just build good rapport. He was like, that's, I was like, you better have to believe me on this. It is true. And then he joined the next call with our champion. And he was yeah, like, yeah, she's totally put into you. I was like, yeah, we don't sell a much different product to our competitor. It often just comes down to how well you can showcase, like understanding what they want to do, but also building rapport. Like they could be doing, our competitor could be doing the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, I think she buys into me and my manager was like, I, I'm not forecasting this deal if that's the way that this is happening. I was like, you're just going to have to believe me. Well, I, I, yeah. I think there's an additional thing. So there's rapport as a friend, but then also being viewed as an expert within the field. Yeah. So if they feel like they can view you as an expert as, hey, actually, you know, what Jack's telling me is, must be true. That's an expert. It makes sense. But I know that this guy's got a track record of talking sense to me. And then, you know, that's going to work in your case always. Yeah, that's true. So it's almost like it's rapport and credibility can win you yeah. the personal champion battle over your competitor if your Absolutely. product's really similar. So once you were in the middle of the deal cycle, we're, we're, I'm interested to hear what was the, like, was there a eureka moment where you were like, we're in a deal here. I'm pushing forward here with the, with the right solution. I've just got to get all my, get everything in, a, in order and go from there. Did you have that moment? Yeah, yeah, I'd say, I think I've, I think at the end of, I guess what you would call a solution call, you know, as I said, I've, I've always followed MedPick quite relatively closely as a process. And by the time we had reached that, I'd pretty much had the full criteria already showed out quite early on in the process, I'd say, other than the paper process, which, you know, we can probably get into, but that was a huge unload for both myself and the champion as well, which, which didn't make it any easier. And the fact that I had all of that made me quite comfortable. You know, I got off that call and my VP sat on the call with me as well. You know, I looked at him and I went, yeah, I feel pretty good about it still. And he's quiet, maybe not as optimistic as I am at the best of times. And he was like, yeah, actually, you know, we've probably got a good shot here, but let's see. And, you know, at that point I was like, yeah, all right. If he thinks it's, we've got a good shot, we'll probably do. Where, where did you think at any point you potentially lost it? I think when they kept changing the markets and, and when they landed on China, I had some reservations around, 
whether we'll actually be able to deliver what we need because we didn't have any presence over there. Actually, we ended up hiring someone on the ground over there as well as part of that process. So the business went out of the way to make it happen, which was really good. But at that point, I was like, well, maybe we've won the deal, but now it looks like we could potentially lose the deal as well. But at that point, I was quiet. I became a little bit pessimistic about the deal at that point because nobody was really clear on how we were going to do it. Who did you have to bring in internally to sort of, because I presume you couldn't as the sales rep go, yeah, 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 don't worry, China will be fine. You had to bring people in internally. Yeah. Was there anyone that sort of saved you and like quelled their concerns or? Yeah, so I think we we brought in one of our tech guys relatively early into the process once we understood that was the market they wanted them as well to talk through how we were going to do it. At that point, what I'm really doing is just managing the relationship. You know, um, you know, as, as we were talking about before, the rapport is really important, but managing the relationship, managing the agenda of the meeting, ensuring that I understand ahead of time what they need to get out of the meeting to feel comfortable with this partnership. And then ensuring that we've got our ducks in a row internally as well. And the people who are supporting me as part of that process know exactly what we need to deliver in that meeting as well. So. Yeah, I mean, by no means was this a one-man effort. I think like there was multiple stakeholders internally who supported that for sure. Tell us, was there a moment where you recognized like we're going to win this now? And uh, uh, you know, because uh, with a big deal, I often find that there's not a moment, a crystallized moment where so they turn around and say, "Yeah, we're going to buy this now. Send us the contract." They never give you that blessing. Like it's never that straightforward. But was there a moment for yeah. you where, you know, sales instinct kicked in and you thought we've won this deal and I've just got to run it home now and just be, and be bullish? Yeah, I, I did. I think, I think, yeah, it's funny enough. It happened multiple times during the deal where I thought we'd won it. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know if we'll ever close this deal. And I was like, yeah, it's going to happen next week. I actually know it's probably another month out. And yeah, I think like what I didn't do very well in this deal was manage the timelines. Like I think my... My management of setting expectations internally of this deal was probably the worst I've ever done. It's probably because it was the first time I'd worked on a deal with a brand who's that big or a deal of that size as well, or close to a deal like this. And so I think, you know, initially when they said, yeah, we've chosen you, I was like, great, I'm just going to have this hope. Then obviously they kept changing the pilot market. So I don't know if that's going to work. Then we landed on the market. We're like, cool, we're going to do it. I was like, great, let's go. We're in again. Then we went through to procurement and they obviously threw a lot of hurdles with us as well. You know, there was one time I remember having a half an hour conversation with the woman in procurement over there, me and my VP about the value within the contract. So, you know, a lot of South companies when they do a pilot, they'll want to have within the agreement, the pilot and the post-pilot period as well, because it aligns with revenue recognition. And they were like, well, no, like we can't do that. And we're like, well, I mean, come on, like we just. Yeah, we'll be very transparent with you. We just want to recognize the revenue. And they were like, well, we are who we are. We're big. You are who you are. You're just pretty much going to have to do what we say if you want to work with us. And so I was like, all right, great. I don't know if we're going to do that. So there were some internal conversations there. And so a lot of the time I went from, yeah, we're going to win it. To, I don't know if we're going to win it. We're going to win it. I don't know if we're going to actually ever sign this deal. The, the real roller coaster. I wouldn't say there was one moment until the signature actually landed where I was like, right, this is actually a done deal. What advice would you give? Because I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of salespeople in this position, mm. especially those going through their first deal with a big brand who's perhaps bigger than them. Yeah. If you don't have credibility or you don't have that power over the customer. Yeah. What advice would you give to the sales reps to help them manage their expectations internally 
and also perhaps help them get a better gauge on the timeline so that they can work with the customer on their timelines, but also have some sort of expectation to be able to forecast when this will come in accurately. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question because I think, you know, as I said, I I follow MedBig a lot, like, and the paper process part in particular, and when you get to companies of this size is probably what's going to be the difference between knowing when this deal is going to close and versus getting it wrong. And so I think what was tricky in this particular instance was because this person had been brought in to drive this initiative forward, they didn't fully understand the process either themselves. And so, you know, we always talk about mutual action plans and how you can build it together. So what do you do now in, in that instance? Obviously now I've got the hindsight of experience and what would I have done differently? So I now have an understanding that if your champion on that side also doesn't know the process, you can be the expert in this, in this situation. This is what the process for a company like you, who is buying this solution, typically looks like when you work with us. This is what that process is. Map it out for them. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the process that's going to be ticked off in that exact order all the time. What you might find is that your champion might say, oh, actually, that's good. And, you know, they'll go away, do some work internally. They'll come back and say, well, actually, that's good. But we also need this to take place as well. And so they, you need to have the ability to be agile with it, introduce that, you know, step into your close plan and make sure that everyone internally on your end is aligned with it as well. Because what you don't want to do is for something to come in and then it be the execution of that specific step to be delayed because, you know, you've not been able to communicate it effectively internally. So I think it's, it's all about communication with your champion, building out what that close plan looks like, but then having the having the ability to be agile with it as well. That's great advice, Hitesh. And do you know what something I've started to do recently is when I use mutual action plans, I was really bad about making like the calls that we had with the customer. And that would be it, you know, like, we're going to have this call here, we're going to have this call there. What I found really effective, and I don't know why, and everyone should definitely do this, is to make your mutual action plan all of the internal calls that they have to have as well in the mutual action plan. So you have, you need to connect with this person. This needs to be completed, this job with, you know, and, and then it doesn't look so forced as like that. And yeah, I found it really, really effective. And in it, instead of it being the date, I'll put like just date to be completed. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more granular you can get on these plans, the better. If you've got a granular closing plan that your champion has been bought into and they're actually ticking it off with you, then you know you're, you're onto a winner actually you'll know you'll be able to forecast this really accurately with the close date as well. Because your champion's bought in with you, you know, you're all ticking it off together. If there is a delay, you both know on each side, the buy side and the selling side that there's a delay. But equally, if you both know, you'll also be able to understand when that step's actually going to take place. And this leads, this leads me to my next question. Did you have an organic compelling event that you were working towards in this deal? Or was it more or like you were just trying to move it forward because you knew it would be a good thing to get it done for the customer. And also to add on to that, Hitesh, I'm going to ask something yeah. else that can combine is, was there yeah. any seasonality for them buying and selling it in China at all? No, there wouldn't be any seasonality. I don't think seasonality was variable at all in this particular case. In terms of an organic compelling event, it was actually all driven by my champions. So this guy's been brought in to deliver this specific task. He had his own milestones that he had to hit internally, which meant that there was a specific date by which he wanted to have a provider fully set up and up and running. 
And so that really works in our favor because we were able to work backwards from that date and be able to map it out. So you, you don't always get that to be fair. So once again, oh, so there, was, there, was, there was a bit of luck in that. <laughs> did they stick to it? Oh, they didn't stick. No. no. Because that would be my next question. It's worse when you make up like an organic, you make up an inorganic or unnatural compelling event. You're like, you need to get this done yeah. by then or or else this. And everyone's like, or else that. Like, that's bullshit. You've just made that up. All the customers be like, oh, we need to get yeah. it done by here. And if we don't, then we're in trouble. And then they miss that deadline themselves and you're like well what are we working towards now because this could never have a timeline in place yeah well what i, what I find is that i think it, i think this deal in, in essence was quite unique because it was a new initiative for this company as well this person's been brought in specifically to buy, to to drive this initiative forward and yeah there was a compelling event that we had a date that we were able to work with and i think that was helpful but the reason that in my opinion that that timeline didn't necessarily work 100 percent accurately is because it was a new initiative for them. So they were still learning phases that were trying to execute that as well, right? Whereas I think that when I think about other deals I've sold in my career where maybe the initiatives are not as new and it's tied to, you know, tied to a specific period and achieving a specific revenue target within that period or something like this, those often you should be able to stick with because the consequence for your champion in the event that you're not able to stick to that timeline is going to be significant versus this scenario of it. It's often the consequences that we need to talk to more than the date. It's often the consequences that we need to talk to more than anything else. Like the cost of the opportunity yeah. loss that will happen if we don't stick to this is what's going to cost us the most issues. You need to get this done. Like, and obviously all sales managers yeah. will be saying, and you need to quantify that cost blah, 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 yeah. so that you can use it. Well, but go on. Well, they say that, I don't know if I've got the percentages right, but they say 80% of people react to pay, right? versus people are more likely or used to be more likely to take action if they're going to feel pain by not taking that action versus an upside itself. So in those instances, you should be able to align with that campaign. I love that, Jack. And did you know I am Hitash? I'm just thinking already, I've got a course this week and I'm like, I'm going to lead with that as like, that's my pseudo critical event almost. Yeah, and being exactly. like, and you're whatever, ripping out this customer or whatever. Yeah, you need to have that in place early on. It needs to be a narrative that's started from the beginning of the conversation. Because if you just chuck it in at the end, you sound like a snake oil salesman who just wants to get a deal signed. Whereas if you've been Absolutely. running with it throughout the whole conversation, then you've got credibility and you're like on their side. I'm going to help yeah, you there's... not have to stomach all this cost. I'm going to get you this done soon, but rather than that. Yeah, something. there's nothing that makes me cringe worse than someone throwing in throwing it in in the last week of the quarter. Yeah, you know, you have to get it done. Otherwise, we're going to have to pull this. Well, here's really? an interesting question. Since you moved into management and now moved into even yeah. executive role, have you, is there anything yeah. that you did on this deal in particular that you look back on and think, oh, I wouldn't have done that this way, knowing what I know now? I just think I wasn't as experienced. So, you know, even the way I'd put the close plan together, I think wasn't great. Yeah, as I said, yeah, it didn't help that the, the, the individual I was working with over there, the champion, also didn't know what the close plan could look like, but I could have done a much better job managing it. I think internally, the way I was communicating timelines wasn't the best either. You know, I was like, oh, I mean, I'll probably be done next month. I mean, no, there was no context behind anything I was, I was doing from a timeline perspective. So yeah, I think I could have done those things better. I think I've always been fortunate where Building rapport with people is, you know, as with most people you work within, within this kind of sales environment should typically come naturally to them. 
So that part's always come naturally to me. And I've always been quite process driven as well. So, you know, when you think about things like make pick, for example, or whatever certain methodology you follow, even, you know, I've always been quite diligent in ensuring I tick those boxes. So for me, it was the, the process from the yes to the signature, managing that more effectively. And then just the communication internally as well. I think I'll probably caution forecasting nightmares for the people above me with that deal. I also want to know, Hitesh, the word pilot or trial or proof of concept is the, a dirty word. It's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> nightmare, dirty word as a gun executive. How long was that process? What was your anxiety like throughout it? May, great question, actually. So, this is where I think having a champion who's been brought in specifically to drive this one initiative really worked in your favor. So, if you, you know, if I talk about other deals outside of this that I've done in my career where, you know, you've done a POC, for example, there's a chance that that initiative they're working on at the time can be deprioritized. So maybe it's not going to be as important. So your success during that POC period is not necessarily the only criteria to then pass in that POC period. You know, it's a, there's multiple other variables. Actually, you guys did really well. You know, this initiative has come up and we've got to prioritize that. The budget's got to go over there or the resourcing's got to go over there. You know, there's a number of things that can happen. In this particular scenario, because this person was brought in surely for this initiative, the way that worked in my favor was right. We were like, what's the period, what's the period going to be? It was quite anxious, obviously. The initial setup, I was really anxious about. I was like, we've not set up in this country before. What's that going to be like? But, you know, frankly, that went well. But having this individual with me, we then were able to math out what this, what the rollout should look like after the pilot period. And what he did a really good job in doing was even before the pilot period has completed, we were already having calls with other markets. He was like, right, this is all just going well. You know, keep in mind, he's brought into this initiative. So he has these specific targets he needs to hit, specific timelines that need to be met. We're already behind because they are, you know, then making the decision and going through legal took a lot longer than was expected to be. And so we were made, able to plan that rollout really effectively, got introductions to teams really quickly. And although the, it wasn't a case of, hey, we've made this decision at Global HQ, every market now has to adopt this tool. They were able to set up the calls and say, we've made this decision that this is our recommended provider for what we tried to do here. And so you must take this call. And so we had the ability to get to our brother, really. To be honest, that's where a lot of it. As a sales person, it's probably where a lot of good money came. We literally got this exact scenario playing out with me right now. And we had, we had, it would have been large, pretty large deal for us this quarter, but they just turned around and said, yeah. we just want to do it on a smaller scale for two reasons. One, they said that they don't think that procurement, if well, they said too many people get their hands on this, by the time it gets through procurement, it will just get, it will just either get slowed down because people will make too much of a big deal out of it or yeah. you will lose all your margin. And the other thing was, they said, if we start off small, everybody wants this. He was like, it'll be better off if you get a procurement on a small deal and then get people coming and knocking on your door saying, can we have it from you? It's small, like you just said there, from regions to regions to regions. Yeah. He was like, it's going to take you six yeah. months, but it will probably take you six months anyway. I was like, that's yeah. a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Might as well just like eat the elephant in small bites, if you like one bite at a time type thing. Yeah. It's, it's quite a dilemma actually, because a lot of the time, as a sales leader, my frame of mind would always be, if you can go for the bigger, bigger price, but you got to wait up, obviously, like, you know, how long is it going to take? What's the additional effort and stuff? But more often than not, I'd be like, we should probably maneuver a way to get the bigger price. But as an AE, 
I was like, I just want to get this done. Let's just get foot in the door if that's what we've got to do. And then yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. let's just take it off. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an inter- interesting thought, thought process that you go through in terms of what you want to do. But I, I think you put it really well there. If it's going to take six months anyway, then just start nibbling away at it right now. Actually, there's revenue in the bank. Procurement's done, paper process, we're in, we know it, we're on people's radar and we've got perhaps even a point to prove. Yeah. I, yeah, like a, a point to, to showcase, sorry. Yeah, I agree with that. So unless you've got anything else to mention on this deal or about how it closed, we've got a few closing questions that we're going to ask you just about, about sales in general. If, if that's the, if that's time to do that, then we will. Yeah, let's go for it. Perfect. So one of the questions that I would like to ask is what's your favorite sales memory from your whole career? My favorite sales memory actually was at the last company I was at. So it was being with my team on the last day of the quarter, waiting for a deal to come in, which actually allowed us to close the most we'd ever closed within, within that quarter. And everyone being together, everyone almost willing it to happen, waiting for that person to make the phone call, just sitting there listening to the phone call, walking the person through how to do the, the signature electronically and then just like the celebrations after. I think it's great. I've always been about, about team and morale and positivity and this kind of stuff. And it all just came together. It was great. Loved it. I live for those moments, don't yeah, you? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's in a drug in a way. I feel like when you have those highs of it's the chase, isn't it? It's like the chase yeah. up. when it's signed, it's the relief. And then the party afterwards, and then you go into work the next day and you're back on zero. Yeah. This happened to me this year and I, I said, I was like, we were there still at like eight o'clock pacing up and down the office. Like there's a group of us in there. I told her, why do we do this? Without taking a breath, he just looked at me and he said, cause we're chunkies. That's, that's, that's actually quite accurate. It's quite accurate. It's quite accurate. Yeah. The other question we have Hitesh is what skill makes you great at sales? I don't know if it's a skill, but it's probably a, a state of mind. So one thing that I doesn't happen to me, fortunately, is I, I don't spiral. But what I mean by that is we've all been AEs where we're working on a deal. And unfortunately, within the space of two days, somebody, you know, you're like, oh, that deal looks positive. You might get an email saying, hey, Jack, really sorry, mate, but like, we're going to have to push this out by six months, right? Or, yeah, we've decided to go in this direction either. And I've had instances where I've had bad news, you know, two, three, two, three bad news events within a really short period of time. But it, I'd never spiral. Like, I'm always like, ah, we'll probably figure it out. You know, I'll get to the number a different way then. And I'm always relatively calm in these situations. And I'm always quite positive as well. I, I am a firm believer that if you put it out there, if you manifest it, then, you know, somehow it will happen. And to be fair, I've got a track record of treating it as well. So, yeah, I'll probably say that's, that's probably what separates me from a lot of people I know. Glass half full, I would say. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I guess to just to cap us off, have you got any like a major theme, a major takeaway from this deal that you summarized it like your key learning perhaps or the key lesson that you took away from it? Yeah, I think the key lesson is to over communicate in these instances with your champion and internally. You're anybody involved, over communicate. And I think I didn't in this specific deal and said, like, I didn't manage the closed process really well. I didn't, I didn't manage internal communications really well in this deal either. And over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. When you're working on something like this, always over-communicate. I love it. Well, that's that. Thanks so much for joining us, mate.
That's very insightful. Awesome. Major takeaways for me. My takeaway is the same. Over communicate and both sides internally and externally. That's going to be the similar thing yeah. for me. So thank you so much. No worries. I think that's just just one more thing. The over communication at the moment internally is extremely important. Very very important because you know revenue attainment is high on the agenda for you know CFOs, CEOs, CROs. You know. Everybody really, you know, your FDs are becoming extremely important. Yeah, I agreed. Thanks, Itash, for joining us. We'll no worries.